We'll be in chapter 18 tonight. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10 through 14 this evening. Beloved, let us ask again for the Lord's help as we prepare to hear the word of God. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we humbly come before you, Lord, confessing our needy, neediness and our great weakness. Father, we are creatures of the dirt. We are jars of clay. We are, Father, very limited in our abilities. Father, we ask that you would look upon us with mercy for even even our own sinfulness continues in us, Lord. There are so many things, Lord, about us that make it unlikely that we could hear and benefit from your word without your gracious help. So, Lord, we pray that you would Come to us. We pray according to our Lord Jesus Christ, who has already come to us, who has already testified to us of your love and grace, who has already shown us your willingness to receive us at the greatest cost, his body and blood. And so we ask, Lord, for his sake, that you would come to us tonight in our relation to you as your children, the children of your house, that you would grant your children to recognize the voice of their master, that we would be greatly helped by it, that we would understand and that we would heed and that we would indeed be transformed. Oh, Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would Straighten our way where it's crooked. Illuminate our way where it's dark. And Father, we pray that you would do this all for your own glory. To your praise. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven... Their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father, who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. This is God's word. Beloved, in our reading tonight, the Lord Jesus continues to press us into shape. He continues to press us into a new form, very similar to pressing a lump of dough into the new form of a bread pan or a pie tin 
the Lord is pressing us into shape. And the form in this case is a properly ordered and a properly directed esteem for all others who have come to believe on Jesus as Savior and Lord. Jesus forbids you from holding in low regard even one person who is following Christ in the church. Hear it again. Jesus forbids you from holding in low regard even one person who is following Christ in the church. Now the passage before us, it could be argued safely, is especially for church officers. As you recall at the head of this chapter, it is the disciples who come to Jesus and ask about who is the greatest in the kingdom. And that's when he puts a child before them and says, unless you become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom. So it can be argued safely that the passage we have read tonight is especially for church officers. And so church officers, hear it especially for yourselves. But we can all hear it as well, and all benefit from it as well, for it concerns the heart of all believers. So our Lord Jesus forbids you, verse 10, from holding in low regard even one person who is following Christ in the church. And so Jesus is pressing us and pushing us and pounding us into the the same shape or form of love for church members of which he himself is the prototype. This is why tonight's text focuses on the searching shepherd so much in those two middle verses, the compact parable of verse 12 and 13. But before we get to those two verses, we should give some proper attention to verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Now these words are meant to send us back to verse 6, where we previously heard about the little ones. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, verse 6, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. The little ones of verse 6 are the same as the little ones of verse 10. They are the believers who have come out of the world to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, now rejoicing in the forgiveness of their sins. They have begun following Jesus and are now tightly associated with his flock, the church. They can be numbered among the 100 in this case. They are called little ones because in the eyes of the world, they are of low rank, just like children. In the eyes of the world, they are ignored and overlooked, like children are often ignored and overlooked, especially they were ignored and overlooked in the ancient world. Like little ones, they are despised, these spoken of in verse 10. Like little ones, they are disregarded, they are ignored by the world. But that is precisely 
the humble station one must be willing to stoop down to in order to enter the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We heard these things earlier in this chapter. So look again at verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Now with these words, the Lord continues to polish, to shine, to buff other believers before our eyes. That's what he's doing. He is making other believers appear to us as precious jewels, as rare gems. He wants us to regard other believers with the same grace and love that we ourselves have been regarded by him. Jesus is not saying these little ones are spectacular according to their own nature. He is saying rather these little ones are spectacular according to the measure of grace and the costliness of the grace that has been poured out upon them. To despise these little ones is to despise the costly grace that has been given to all believers. And it is to despise the giver of that grace, the purchaser of that grace, who is Jesus Christ. So see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Did you notice that intensifier that begins verse 10? That word at the very beginning, the word see. The sentence would have worked just fine without that word. It could have been, do not despise one of these little ones. But we get this extra word right at the beginning. This extra word that is sometimes translated in other New Testament verses as take heed or watch or even watch out or take care. In Calvin's translation of this verse 10, he uses beware. That's fair. That's a fair translation. Now this intensifier word at the beginning of verse 10 is probably meant to alert you as to how easy it is to slide into a state of mind where you despise this Christian or that Christian. In effect, Jesus is saying, you should watch out for yourself. After all, a lot of people won't care if you despise some of the little ones because despising certain kinds of lowly Christians, uncool Christians, unhip Christians, unwhatever kinds of Christians, despising certain kinds of lowly Christians is so common a sin, it is almost expected of us. It is almost respectable. It is almost normative. Despising the lowliest Christian is one of the sins and corruptions people won't come and challenge you about. They might challenge you about drinking too much. They might challenge you about cursing too much. They might challenge you about lying and gossiping and slandering. But not a lot of other Christians challenge you for despising some Christians whom they like to despise too. Which little ones are commonly despised? Well, the poor Christian is one. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 21, where he talks 
about the Corinthians' bad habits at the Lord's Supper. He uses the same Greek word. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Paul says. That's his exclamation point. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. It is a very common thing to despise little ones in the church who have nothing. And we think all sorts of dark and polluted thoughts about them. And apparently this is so common, Paul isn't directing his admonition to just one person in Corinth. This is a pandemic in the Corinthian church. Which little ones are commonly despised? Not just the poor Christian, but the young Christian. Listen again to Paul in his letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Paul is saying it is particularly easy to despise a man who is younger when that man is esteemed for his godliness. It is particularly easy for the older Christian to despise the godly young Christian. We could go on. So watch yourself is the point of verse 10. A. No one can watch out for this despising spirit like you can. The word despise, in fact, literally means to think against someone. That's why I can't watch out so well for how you are despising people. Because in real life, we don't have those cool little cartoon word bubbles above our heads. You have to watch out for yourself. Watch out that you do not despise, that you are not thinking against. I will help you. I will tell you the honest truth. My prayers are too often full of confessions and even tears that I have despised one of the little ones of the Lord. Beloved, watch out. I praise God that I have the grace to pray and confess these sins. So watch out. Maybe that is why the intensifier is actually there after all, because to despise is such a secret attitude of the heart. I can't watch out for you in this matter. You must watch out for you. You know what your heart is doing. You know the the foul speeches that you entertain about other believers. Now there is more in verse 10. The second half of the verse provides some of the grounds for why despising other believers is so foolish, so inappropriate, even dangerous. For I tell you that in heaven their angels 
always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now the point our Lord is making here is simple and penetrating. Those who men despise on earth are represented by angels in heaven. Why would you dare take the side against little ones of the kingdom, take the side that the angels are not taking? The angels of God are always serving, always esteeming the little ones of the church. Why would you want to think cold, hard, and indifferent thoughts toward them when God's angels are always warm towards them, welcoming towards them, serving them. This language in verse 10b about their angels has, of course, led many people far afield from biblical teaching, so far afield that some people have envisioned that we each have a private bodyguard angel who looks like Cary Grant and keeps us from stepping in mud puddles. That's more Hollywood than scripture. But sometimes we are so unread in the scriptures ourselves that we end up in the ditch on the other side of the road. And thank, thank God never for the angels that are serving us and guarding us and aiding us in ways we don't even know. Just to give you a little more assurance of the scripture's teaching on the two-word phrase, their angels. Do you remember when Peter was led through the city by an angel? The angel came in and brought him to wake and walked him out of his cell, out of the jail, through the city, and brought him to the house where all the saints were inside, praying for him, and he rings the bell or shakes the bell at the gate, and the servant girl, Rhoda, comes to the gate, and she's so flabbergasted that here is Peter, who, who's supposed to be in prison. He's standing at the gate. She forgets to unlock the gate, and she goes all the way back in the house and says, Peter is out there. And the people in the house, the believers say, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. Even in that statement, though they were incorrect, the theology behind it is correct. In Luke 1.19, an angel comes and visits the father of John the Baptist, whose name was Zechariah. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Gabriel makes it clear that he's come from the face of God. He is a servant of God to bring good news and serve the church and children and little ones of God. In Hebrews 1.14, we have one of the most helpful general descriptions of the ministry of angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Beloved, you are being served by angels. You don't need to write a book about it. You don't need to look for them under the bed. But you are right to give thanks to God for them. 
But the main reason they are being mentioned in second part of verse 10 is so that we would not despise the very little ones whom the angels esteem, whom they serve, being sent from the very presence of God. Matthew Henry said, the prime ministers of state are often said to see the king's face as if the strongest angels had the charge of the weakest saints. Now let us move on then to verse 11. Some of you don't have verse 11 in your Bible. You might be noticing that right now for the first time that you go from verse 10 to verse 12. The reason for that, stated in brief, is that many of the Greek manuscripts of the New Testament do not have verse 11 in them. Now you'll find verse 11 in the King James translation, but you don't find it in the English Standard Version. What does verse 11 say in the King James translation? It says, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. That's what it says in verse 11 of the King James. Instead of exegeting that verse and exposing it before you, I simply want to share with you what John Calvin said about verse 11. It is in the highest degree unreasonable that we should disdainfully reject those whom the Son of God has so highly esteemed. And even if the weak labor under imperfections, which may expose them to contempt, our pride is not on that account to be excused. For we ought to esteem them not for the value of their virtues, but for the sake of Christ. And he who will not conform himself to Christ's example is too saucy and proud. Close quote. Verses 12 and 13. Here we have a very compact parable where our Lord is continuing to make the case for us that we should never despise the lowly little ones of the kingdom. In these two verses, 12 and 13, Jesus sets before his disciples a beautiful parable that is actually a revelation of his own love for the lowliest of saints. And the point of the parable is to showcase how much esteem Jesus has for the little ones. Now the little one, the little one, not plural any longer, the little one in this parable is the one sheep who goes astray. But Jesus does not despise a sheep who goes astray. Not only does the good shepherd greatly exert himself to go find this one lost sheep, the good shepherd also greatly rejoices over that one sheep when it is found. Calvin again. Jesus labors no less to recover a sheep that is lost than he does to preserve those who are in his possession. That's a well-turned phrase. None of the 99 have been afflicted by weakness like this one. The 99 are all where they are supposed to be. The one sheep who wanders is the one in great danger, not the 99. The one sheep is more likely, now that he's gone astray, more likely to be devoured by wolves, more likely to be taken by thieves, 
and never return. So the good shepherd, the good shepherd does not say, well, that one sheep is getting exactly what he deserves. I will leave that sheep alone to teach that stray a lesson. The good shepherd does not say that. The good shepherd goes after that straying sheep, for he values that sheep even more than that sheep values itself. The Lord knows who that sheep is, that it is his, one for whom he has come to die, one for whom he has come to shepherd, one for whom he has come to keep. This is a good word here to all church officers or future church officers, and in fact, all believers. We will never find ourselves on Judgment Day being scolded for exerting ourselves too much to bring back a stray sheep. We will never, on Judgment Day, find ourselves being scolded for rejoicing too much for the one little lowly believer who has returned to the fold. The Lord Jesus is the shepherd of verse 12 and 13. And he is teaching us what true exertion in love looks like and what true joy for one another looks like. Beloved, you cannot look carefully at these texts, this passage before you, and not discover in yourself a profound weakness, a profound coldness, a profound selfishness. I am not the good shepherd. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. But I want to be like Jesus Christ. I want him to make me more like him. But as I look into his very heart here, I discover how far away I am from being like him. He has to come and tell me. I am of such a nature that Jesus has to come and tell me, watch out, see to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. That esteeming the little ones is not my default setting. Esteeming myself, esteeming the people I am in immediate blood relation to higher than esteeming the body of Christ, is that's my, that's my default self. And the real tell, beloved, is what do my prayers reveal? Who am I praying for? Who am I not praying for? See, and I discover in all of this that I'm telling you the darkness of my own heart and how much I need the Lord Jesus Christ to dwell in me in power and make me a shepherd like himself. Greatly exert, greatly rejoice. This is the mind of Christ toward those whom he came to save, whom he came to bring, and whom he came to keep in his kingdom. And it is this very mind, beloved, that is to be renewed in all church officers and in all Christians towards one another. I sometimes like to point out that in Hebrews, 
I believe it is chapter 10 when the apostle there says, see to it that no root of bitterness overtakes one or the other of you. The, the Greek word see to it is actually the word we use for church officers and their work. But it's not used there for church officers. It's episcopeo in a verbal form, which we get the word episcopal or bishop, elder. But there in Hebrews, it's being used to admonish the entire congregation of Jesus Christ to watch over each other and make sure neither your little brother or your little sister gets taken away and gets carried away as a stray by a root of bitterness in their heart. <clears throat> Beloved, watch out that you don't watch out that you don't want to do this work. Watch out that you don't want to pray these prayers. Watch out that you are perhaps chiefly interested in three or four people who live at your address and not the people who dwell together in worship. Watch out. Do not despise one, not even one, of these little ones. And let me challenge you young people. Young people, it is very, very tempting to despise the Christian who is not cool, who is not cool in the clothes they wear, the Christian who is not cool in the cultural products that they participate in. It's very tempting to despise a little one of Jesus Christ who seems like they are a nerd spiritually. Young people, do not wait until you're 40 to take these words seriously from Jesus Christ. Bless the church of God. Bless the body of Christ. Hear him tonight when he says to you, you too watch out that you do not despise one of these little ones. And if you discover in his words that you don't think very much about other Christian teens or other Christians at all, let that be a revelation to you how much you need the help of Jesus Christ. Because you are only a recipient of salvation because he thinks that much about us. And he can give you a measure of his heart through the Holy Spirit. Finally, verse 14. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now as a Calvinist, a Reformed Presbyterian, you read a verse like that and you are tempted to recall your cage stage phase of Calvinism. Beloved, it would be a serious abuse of the doctrines of grace to read verse 14 and say, well, if those strays are the elect of God, they will not perish. So I'm not going to worry too much about them. That is sound doctrine, very poorly applied. The elect of God will not perish. The elect of God who go astray, and boy, so many of them go astray for a season. Oh boy. Who do you think Jesus is talking about here? Reprobates? He's talking about the elect. 
So many of the elect go astray. But beloved, the elect of God will never perish, but they are kept from perishing by appointed means. The Lord has appointed means to preserve the saints in the persevering grace of his sovereign electing love. God uses means, and Jesus is teaching us here what those means are. Other believers who do not despise even one little one. Oh, how blessed you are if you are in a Christian church where the cancer of despising other little ones has been radiated to just a little tiny tumor because in that church, you will be sought out. You will be sought even if you go a thousand miles astray. They'll come after, they're coming after you. Woe to us, though, if our tumors of despising spirits have not been radiated. God uses means... Paul says to Timothy in his second and final letter, chapter 2, verse 10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul's clearly a man who understands the agency of means and the providential, persevering grace of God. He is saying, I will endure everything. I will spend myself. I will let my life be used up. I will stay close and tight with the flock and keep my eye out for those who stray. I will endure everything so that the elect may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Beloved, we are also part of the means. It's called, does anybody know? There's a whole chapter about it in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Or is this just nerd 501? The communion of saints. Beloved, we are the means. Among all the ordinary means, we are also a means of the Lord keeping his little ones from perishing. But may the Lord change our hearts and give us a measure of his own heart to not despise the little ones. Let us pray. Our gracious Lord and Savior, we thank you and praise you that it pleased you to not despise the little ones whom your Father gave to you. Lord, it is you who said that it is not many noble, not many wise, not many great have been called. We thank you that some noble Some very honorable, some great men and women have been called, but not many have. Oh, Lord, we are the lowly ones. Father, we thank you that this did not displease your son. Oh, Lord, we thank you that there is no despising spirit in the Savior who gave himself for these little ones who had no virtues according to nature, who were not lovely, but whom he made lovely at his expense. Oh Lord, may we be willing to do the same. May we have the same power in us 
that we see in our Savior who then drew near to us in that power and love and set upon us a grace that was costly in the extreme. Oh Lord, may we recognize how much we rest our souls in a Savior who did not despise the little one. So may we now rise up in his strength and go out and not despise one another. In Jesus' name, amen.